Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I am Kevin Kaufman, your host of the Kevin and Fred Next Level Agents podcast, the real estate podcast that brings you short business tips and tricks, as well as in-depth interviews with some of our industry's leading minds. So sit back, relax, and enjoy today's episode. Hey, Roland Frazier, how are you doing today, buddy? Doing good, Kevin. I'm doing good. How you doing? Doing good, man. Thanks a lot for taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us today on the Next Level Agents podcast. My pleasure. Well, hey, Roland. What I what I thought was um, I'd like to just kind of chat with you a little bit. I've I've been able to hear you speak over the years uh, through Genius Network and some of the other things that you've done. Uh, you know, obviously, you've got a lot going on in both the real estate world and outside. And mm-hmm. I thought it'd be kind of cool just to learn about that journey and kind of your, your journey in business and how you got to where you're at today and some of the nuggets and things that you learned. Sure. Let's do it. Awesome. So, I mean, tell me, what, how did you get your first start in business? I, I guess I would like to start there. I was reading uh, some stuff around real estate uh, development deals and how it seems like one thing just sort of leads to the next. But in your words, how did you get started in the business world and, uh, and just kind of will progress? Yeah, I, I would say I, I had a... a really good, a really good intro into it from my father. My father was and still is a tax attorney. And so he's practiced for, I don't know, like a hundred years now, but uh, (laughs) he's, uh, he was, he had primarily entrepreneurial type clients. And so when I was a kid, I would meet uh, a guy that was doing real estate development. And then I'd meet a guy that was doing, um, um, uh, horse racing for these little things called pacer horses that are like carriages that go behind horses and you know all the different ways that the men and women that were his clients were making money and they were all working for themselves and they were all entrepreneurs and so that's kind of and he was obviously as a as a tax attorney you know he had his own firm so that just kind of was in my in my head to start with and then I was a bizarre child with bizarre interests my my mom was a Psychology. She was a school teacher and then a um, uh, psychology aficionado, and so all around the books, all around the house, where there were all these books by this guy named C.J. Jung, uh, which turns out to be C.J. Young as you get older and realize how to pronounce the J, and um, and all these other guys, but especially him. And so I was kind of interested in psychology, and my dad. And my grandfather were really interested in language, so I was interested in language. So my my sixth grade book report, I think the one that I remember in particular was on a transactional psychology analysis book called "I'm Okay, You're Okay," and you know, which very simple concept. It was like parent, adult, child. Which one are you speaking from, and which one are you speaking to? But I was just like, that's really cool. And so <laughs> I started reading all those books, and I read uh, business biographies, and I wasn't. Like I didn't read comic books and, and all my fiction was limited to the fantasy JJ, you know, the Tolkien and those kinds of J.R.R. Tolkien and those guys. But um, so I, I had just, I guess it was a, a contagious contracted interest in business. Um, but man, I just always liked it. And then uh, in the back of my dad's car one day when I was a little bit older, uh, he taught, uh, he taught at one of the local colleges and, um, when I was um, 15 and eight months, I think I got my learner's permit and I was able to drive and I'd drive him uh, to, to his class. And in the back of the car, there was this um, audio cassette from uh, Nightingale Conant package called uh, by a guy named Dennis Waitley called The Psychology of Winning. 
And I listened to it and it was like, you know, you can set goals and people that set goals are 75,000% more likely to get what they want. And I was like, that's cool. I'm going to set goals. So all of that just kind of got me into it. And then um, I guess when all that coalesced into a business kind of interest was, um, uh, was in real estate because um, Robert, um, not Ringer, uh, why am I blanking on him? Uh, the uh, Nothing Beyond Real Estate. Um, uh, and sheets. no, it's, it's, uh, Robert, I don't know. I'm blanking on him right now, but anyway, he wrote a book called nothing down and he wrote a book called creating wealth. And, um, he ended up, uh, motivating me. I was reading these books. And of course at the time, interest rates were like 10, 11, 12% and going up. And in the book, it was like talking about interest rates at six and 8%. I was like, that's never going to happen again. So it's funny to see them now where they are. But, um, yeah, I, I was like, I was like, real estate, man, that's, that's, that's a cool place. You can make a lot of money. You can buy stuff with nothing down. That's amazing. That's so cool. So I was building spreadsheets and like, I'm going to do this real estate thing. And I got my real estate license when I was 18. As soon as I turned 18, I, I was like, I'm going to get my real estate license. So I did and started selling real estate and um, then looking for, for opportunities to leverage my, my efforts. I, um, found that if I went to builders, I could get lots of listings instead of going to individuals. And then, so I started working with the builders and then I found, found out they were raising money to do their developments by um, uh, doing these things called syndications. And I was like, what's a syndication? It was, well, it's basically just a limited partnership kind of thing. We run it and we get other people to put up money and we sell it in chunks of 25,000 or a hundred thousand or whatever. And I was like, that's cool. Can I sell those? And they're like, yeah, we had to be even better than in you selling our real estate. And I was like, cool. So I'll sell those. So when I was 19, I got my insurance license to do key man insurance for them. When I was 20, I got my securities license. And at the time you had to drive, I lived in Richmond, Virginia. You had to drive up to Washington DC to take the series seven exam to be able to sell securities. And, um, I, I remember like that was a big deal and passing that. Um, uh, I was, I wasn't sure how it went. Cause like the real estate exam, I thought was, I was like, Oh, that was, that was pretty easy. And then the, the securities exam, they gave you four hours in the morning and four hours in the afternoon. It was two sessions to take it. And um, I walked out after about two hours feeling pretty good, but everybody was looking at me like, oh, yeah, he couldn't take it, you know? And I was like, uh-oh. And then the second session was the same. And, um, and I'm in, you know, Washington, which I, you know, was kind of like a foreign place to me. And, um, and I ended up passing that and, and getting my license with a firm in New York. Uh, and so that just all kind of led to this is really cool doing business. And so I took all the money that I had saved from working at Golden Skate World and, um, uh, and a uh, river rafting place, uh, a water park thing, and put it into one of the deals with one of these real estate guys and basically tripled my money in about, I think it was nine months. And I was like, this is amazing. This is so cool. And so I was totally hooked. And my dad had done, had financed real estate deals for years. So I kind of had the you know, had the idea of how that worked. And that just kind of led to doing bigger and bigger developments. I think the biggest one we did may have ended up with like a little over a thousand homes, you know, a thousand lots that we entitled, developed, developed, and then built on. And um, I did that uh, while I was going through uh, the end of high school and then college and then law school. And in the process through the securities thing, got connected with Prudential Securities in New York and found out that you could actually buy companies like you can buy real estate. And I was like, well, that's even cooler. 
because I like companies are more fun than real estate. Real estate's nice, but it's just a piece of land. It's not like an exciting thing to own to me. Uh, I like the money, but it's not, not like there's no puzzle to it. I really like puzzles. And then when I found out you could do it with companies, just started buying companies and selling them and, you know, buying bigger companies and selling them. And was, this is really cool. So all that just kind of led, I did all that uh, while I was going to undergrad, uh, got a degree in accounting and then went to law school and started practicing law. And uh, that's just been kind of entrepreneurial, you know, since the, since the get go. Man. So you're one of those guys that's kind of just said, Hey, I think I'll go learn about this and then do it. And then you went out and did a, you know, a ton of different things like fascinating story. And I could probably go 10, 10 different directions, but I love the fact that you saw the correlation of, uh, I could just help buy and sell companies just like we can real estate. And mm -hmm. so you just didn't think anything of it other than, other than to go do that, find out what do I need to do and, and then start start doing deals. Right. Yeah, that's it. What, what are some of the similarities? Having sold a little bit of real estate prior to that, and obviously then being a part of some of those deals, um, was there some of that real estate background and knowledge that helped you in, in that? Or was that more of like the, I, I could imagine like the psychology thing, understanding the way people behave had to be a massive asset for you when you got into that world. But what, what are some of those things that you think helped you to, number one, maybe um, get over the fear if you had any? Uh, to, to do a bigger deal like that when it involves a company? And then number two, some of the skills that are required there that probably aren't required to say sell a, a house. I think um, uh, a lot of great questions there. I think that the, the first one I'll, I'll address is the fear thing. Um, I, I'm kind of like I have had fear, but I'm not smart enough to let the fear stop me. So I, it's like I'm missing the common sense gene of, hey, this could be scary and could re result in total financial devastation. And then I'm like, so let's do it, you know? Yeah. So, uh, so I, like, I like the challenge. I like the challenge of puzzles and I, I'm, I'm comfortable with risk and I find it exciting. So I think fear and excitement are two sides of the same coin. And it's, yep. just, a, it's just an interpretation in your head how you're going to uh, process them. So I choose, I choose excitement and let's, you know, let's, let's go do it over, over let's wait and get more information. So that's, that's the fear thing. There's a tremendous amount of commonalities between real estate and buying companies. It's, there's a buyer and there's a seller. They, they all have the same rational and irrational thoughts and fears themselves going into the transaction and motivations. Um, when you buy a piece of real estate, if, if you're, buying a piece of real estate to profit from it, it's very similar to buying a company because you're either buying a, a going concern piece of real estate that's producing rental income and has a cap rate and all that kind of stuff, like in a company where you, a company has income and sales and profits. And then on rehab, real estate is like a turnaround company. Like you get into the real estate and you're like, we got to get rid of the cat piece smell, take up the carpet, put in new paint and that kind of stuff. And you go into the company and you're like, well, we got to change the bad products and, you know, take out the stupid stuff and put in the better stuff. It's just not that different. Yeah. And the marketing of them to resell is, is also similar. Where's the pool of potential buyers? How do we reach out? What are they interested in? How's our market messaging going to catch their eye and, and make them interested in checking out this deal? And then the most fun thing of all on both sides to me is the negotiation. So that's all very similar too. So, you know, and, and as you do bigger and bigger real estate deals, uh, I, I, I think that they become more and more like company deals because they're more 
of a business that has real estate than they are just like a flip deal where you try to find a place that needs some fixing up. But man, I, I think they're very similar. And I, I, I believe that the profitability, um, the profit potential for me seems tremendously greater in, in companies than real estate but I like the stability of real estate and the tangibility of real estate. Whereas companies, you might own stock in this thing that sells this intellectual property and there's just nothing, which, you know, banks won't lend on that typically either. Yeah. And whereas real estate, it's like, okay, no, we've got this, this hunk of land with building on it. Yeah. We can, we can put value on that. That's, that's interesting. You kind of lit up there when you talked about the negotiation piece. So is that, uh, where does that come from? Is that just sort of who you are like innately or is that something you developed over time? Yeah, no, I, I love competition. I've I'm all, always been very competitive. My competition, my competitiveness is much more healthy now than it was when I was younger. And I feel like even though I'd say I don't do as well in deals now negotiation as I did when I was younger, I do better, if that makes sense. The, I don't get as much of the pie but I make more win-win relationships. I, I like when I was younger, it was like, I'm going to get the best deal. I'm going to negotiate this and this, and this guy was willing to do this. And she was willing to come down to that. Whereas now I'm like, well, if it's, if I, I did this thing called the fairness zone. So to me, every deal has a zone of fairness. And if you go over one side, it's too much in your favor and people will make unfair deals. But what I've found is that the people that make unfilled deals unfair deals tend to feel bad about them after the fact. They find ways to sabotage them. They'll get into litigation. They'll do, you know, or they'll just go tell 20 people that you're a shark and you took advantage of them or whatever. And all that ultimately damages your ability to do things in the future. So I think now if I see someone, I still sometimes play the game because I can't help myself um, of negotiating a really aggressive deal. But then somebody will say that they'll do it. And I'll be like, you know what? I actually don't think that's fair for you. Let's let's do this and I'll put money back on the table, which seems to actually do better than if you just let them do the deal and didn't go that extra mile, if that makes any sense. Cause to totally. I, I, I know the last deal I was uh, I did, I was a guy that asked me to be an advisor for his company. And he's like, and uh, we'll pay you this and you send me people and I'll, you know, give you this and that and the other and, you know, get these deals for us. And I said, you know, I said, that's cool, but I'm, if I'm an advisor, I'm getting equity in the company. I don't I think it's fair for me to, that, that's why I'm an advisor. So I don't think I should get that extra compensation. He was like, okay, if you don't want it, you know, and I'm like, but it's not. So yeah. I, I just, um, I think that it's important to be really fair in your dealings and, and not take advantage of people, even though they will let you take advantage of. Yeah, you know, that seems, and that happens a lot in, I think, in the real estate world. I, you, you made me think of a few of my friends that do a lot of wholesaling, and I know you've got some friends that do that as well. And, you know, a lot of them, like, they absolutely want to make sure that their buyer, their list of buyers are making money. And yep. so while they could make an extra five or 10 grand on a deal, they're always making sure that they're leaving enough meat on the bone for their investors to be able to make a profit after they do their thing on their flip or, or whatever it is that they're going to do with that, that property later. So that way they'll come back and buy another, right? Yeah. That's the long game versus short game. Short game Absolutely. is let me get as much as I can. Long game is let's have a deal that has everybody feeling pretty good about it. Yeah, and, and actually, if somebody says they don't feel good about the deal, I've really surprised people uh, even down to my, one of my stories that tells is on eBay, I was trying to buy a lens, camera lens for my son. And there was a buy it now price of, you know, like $2,000 or something like that. And I'm, you know, I'm a 
aggressive negotiator. I was like, I'll give you 500 bucks for it. And, and a guy was like, Oh man, I don't know. It's like, I was hoping I could get more for it. And I emailed him and then he, I emailed him back and I said, well, look, wait till the thing's over, see what you got. And if, you know, if you don't, then, you know, if I hadn't found one, then I'll, I'll buy it from you. And, um, and he was like, no, I'm going to do it. I'll sell it. But you know, I'm, I just, I'm just not happy about it. And I was like, I'm not going to buy it if you're not happy about it, because I want you to feel like this solved a problem for you or got you what you needed. If you feel that way, I'll buy it. If you don't, I won't. And he was like, no, I don't feel that way, but I'll sell it to you. And I was like, no, okay, I'm not going to buy it. Go through the thing. And like, you know, it's this weird conversation over text back and forth on the eBay platform. But that's how I feel, man, is if, if that there's, there's bad juju, bad karma, bad something. If you, if you let people do things that they aren't happy about, they'll find ways to screw you or blow the deal or feel bad or just generally put bad energy out in the world. It ain't worth it. Long game, long game, long game. Absolutely. You nailed it. So, so let me ask you, so what is your, what is Roland Frazier's business world look like today when you like your portfolio of companies that you're either actively working in or, or passively, uh, I'm probably more interested in the active side, but I would love to hear about maybe some of the other things that you've got going on. Um, cause my hope here is that our listeners who are making money in real estate now can then take their, take their future earnings and what they're learning as well and go apply that and do something similar. Right. And so that way their, their future gets set up as well. So tell me about some of what you've got going on, both in the real estate industry and out. Sure. So um, I, I have, I actually just did the count uh, at the first of the year. I have 30 companies that are in my portfolio right now of investment companies and several of them do lots of different things, but primarily they are in the, uh, in the real estate space, in the real estate space, um, I own part of one of the fastest growing real estate brokerages in the country right now, uh, Big Block Realty. I own um, a real estate investor training company uh, called Real Estate Worldwide that offers a SaaS, a software as a service to real estate investors where we aggregate the data of all the sales in the United States and then sell that data in term. We have three primary offerings. One is uh, cash buyers because they're most, most likely to be the people that you sell your deals to. Uh, vacant houses because they're they're one of the best way one one of the best places to buy to flip from uh, other owners and then um, another uh, hard money lender kind of thing and so we sell those we also have uh, real estate investor coaching programs we have uh, a title company a mortgage company an escrow company and um, we have a real estate fund called Cap West uh, is a Reg A Regulation A fund we registered with the SEC and that um, we've raised about $17 million to do transactional funding for deals. So people who are real estate investors who in some States that don't allow simultaneous closing closings require you to close on the deal before you can sell to your buyer. They won't let you do it without actually putting the money up. So people need that money, but they only need it for 24 to 48 hours. And typically there's two to four or five points that get paid on that. So we fund that gap. And then we get our money back out of closing. And um, is that all the real estate companies we have? Uh, is that all? Just a couple? We do, we do a training uh, through a real estate academy that we're in the process of getting registered with um, colleges and things like accredited, ACE accredited to be, uh, to, to be that. And, um, and then occasionally I do some you know, lending, just we'll buy a place. And we have a, a literally a house down the road that uh, we're fixing up right now and um, you know, going to flip. So it's, it's, uh, it's fun. 
that's my real estate. Then outside of real estate, um, lots of different things in the, um, marketing world. We have about, uh, we have about 61 really active profitable websites. We own sewing.com, makeuptutorials.com, survivallife.com, do it yourself, uh, DIYprojects.com, all these, um, different things where we build audiences and then find products to sell to those audiences. The big thing for us is we put content out, we generate interest in a thing, we build an audience, and then once the audience hits critical mass, we'll go and identify or create products and sell to them. We have uh, several events. I love the event space. Um, we own a thing. We actually just sold one of our biggest events called Traffic and Conversion Summit to a, uh, a firm out of the UK that's helping us take it international. So we're one of our big things going forward is uh, in all of the businesses, I feel like I've been too, I, I've wanted to go international and we have international buyers for our domestic offerings, but to actually put boots on the ground in Australia and China and Europe, that that's all happening beginning in 2020. So I'm very, very excited about that. And our events are, are like our landing party that comes in and we do the event and then that funds the ability of our other companies to come in and get a toehold and actually have a physical presence in those places. That's, that's fascinating. You said something when you're talking about the website space, mm -hmm. um, about creating an audience, you know, content, create the audience, then create the offerings for them. I mean, what I, I heard a real estate, okay, if I'm a real estate agent, which the vast majority of the listeners here are, um, I heard a lesson in there for, for them and for them to go out and generate their business in a similar way. Um, mm -hmm. So let me ask you that. Did, did I make an incorrect correlation or is that accurate? Not at all. So you're around a bunch of realtors as well, mm -hmm. uh, involved in. Let me ask you this. If you were, let's say you got your license today and you're not the Roland Frazier that, that we know today and you're, you're going out, where do you, but you have the knowledge that you have today. What do you start doing as a, as a realtor to make it in 2019 and beyond? Yeah, I, my whole world is, well, the first thing, we have a real estate mastermind too called Closing Table, so I joined that. <laughs> but uh, we, uh, the first thing that I like to do is in any deal is I want to find the leverage. So where are the leverage points? So going all the way back to when I got my license and I was like, well, I can go get onesie twosie listings or I can find people that have hundreds, literally hundreds of listings. And even though I might cut a deal that I won't make as much money per listing, I, I tapped into this honey hole of, of hundreds of them. So my effort is so much more concentrated and focused. It allows me to be way more productive. So if I was going into the space today, I, I would identify what are the centers of influence in the area that I am interested in. And I would go form those relationships. I think in this world of digital marketing and I own a company called digital marketer. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm all in on digital marketing, but I'm also all in on face to face stuff because I find that the biggest, best deals never happen digitally. You don't run an ad typically and find your best referral source. You meet that person belly to belly. So I would identify the people who are the influencers in the area that I was interested in farming. So let's say I live in an area called Rancho Santa Fe here in, in Northern San Diego County. So if I was gonna sell real estate here, um, I would say, who are my buyers? And I'd say, okay, well, my buy, well, number one, I'd say, what market do I want to be in? I want to be in this market because the effort that it takes me to sell a $3 million average house versus the effort it takes me to sell a, a $30,000 or $300,000 house is the same roughly. And the benefit of the $3 million, since we're typically on a percentage, 
uh, compensation deal is so much better. I'm going to focus my efforts where I'm going to get the biggest bang for my effort. Then I'm going to say, okay, having identified that, who buys these houses? Uh, and I'm going to say, okay, people who buy these houses are typically wealthy entrepreneurs, affluent, upper-level C-suite corporate people, um, and people that have inherited a lot of money. Great. Now I've got my target market. I'm going to say, okay, what do those people do other than buy houses? Because they typically probably don't buy houses once a week. What do they do on a regular basis? Well, a lot of them are interested in the men are usually interested in cigars, sports cars, and wine. So I would create or join, but I'd probably try to create, I'd join and then create um, a meetup or some sort of social thing around cigars, wine, and sports cars that, that gave uh, me the ability to be the center of influence at that interest point where the walls are down because you're not in a business environment and you can network and form relationships with people. I joined the country clubs that are around here. There's like three major ones around here. Um, I'd play golf uh, with those people. I would, um, and if I was uh, for both men and women, uh, I would join the local charitable groups that got the most bang in the society papers. So every neighborhood like this has their own couple of papers that the local people read. So I'd plug into those and do some charitable efforts around that and just get to know all the people. And it's so funny because that's the first stuff I do. Then I would create content. I take my iPhone with me and I'd record everything and I would let people be stars. So the, the people that I was meeting, I'd say, you know, Hey, Kevin, it's awesome that you're the head of the Rancho Santa Fe Garden Society. Man, I'd love to walk through your garden with you and talk about what you do to make this and what makes this good. And then I'd video you and make you a star, put you on a Facebook page that was the Rancho Santa Fe Garden Society or Rancho Santa Fe Garden or even San Diego or North County and, um, and create a ton of content. And then I would retarget that content, you would obviously come and I'd plant pixels there and then I'd retarget everybody that visited that occasionally with my newest real estate listings. That, that's probably what I'd do to start. <laughs> to start, you just gave a five-year business plan that uh, quite, I know I'm going to have to go back and re-listen to that three or four times to take my notes, Roland. That was, that was high level and what I hope our listeners key in on here is this is from a very accomplished businessman who just really broke down not just the basics of real estate, but how to take the basics and take them big. And so, Roland, that, that was great. Thank you. Um, let me shift gears with you for a minute. Uh, I got a couple more, I will call it personal questions, if you will. Um, let me ask you this. So, obviously, you've been very successful in all that you've done, and your family has probably benefited greatly from that. But... I want you to imagine that when you, whenever you leave the earth, that you can't take, there's no passing of any money, there's no passing of any wealth or anything else like that onto your children uh, or any other family members. Uh, it's, but what you can leave them is values and core principles, things like that. What, what would those three or four things be, or maybe it's more, maybe, maybe it's less, if you couldn't leave any wealth to anybody else, uh, but you could leave you know, some pieces of advice Sure. Yeah. I, and I try to do that every day. And uh, my wife and I were talking last night. We, we had dinner with uh, our two boys. We have a 21-year-old and a 27-year-old. The 21-year-old lives with us and the 27-year-old is, is off on his own. And, um, but we have dinner with them probably three or four nights a week. And to have that ability to be close and, you know, sometimes they'll bring a girlfriend or whatever, but it's, it's, 
we are a very close family. And so I think that the, the importance of taking the time to spend with your family and nurture the relationships of your family, to share the interests, to show interest, that's something that, that I know we have already imprinted on them. To have a wonderful, open, communicative relationship with someone who actually supports you and you support back. Our son uh, said the other day, we were talking about he had, uh, he had broken up with a, a girlfriend that he had dated for a while or she had broken up with him and he was really down about it and we were talking to him about it and he said, he said, listen, I already know that I'm going to have a fantastic marriage when I get to that point, but just by being around you guys and seeing how you treat each other and how you talk to each other and we were just like, that was good. This, you're supposed to hate us now, so this is really good. <laughs> so, um, so that and then the other thing is to be happy with, with your life and what you're doing is way more important than any dollar thing. So one of our, uh, the younger of our kids uh, decided that he, he just couldn't get school. Uh, so he dropped out. He did not finish high school, but he was ranked in the top like 100 people of this game called CSGO that has almost 5 million players, I think that play every month. And so he was going to go, we identified the path and said, you know, if, if you're miserable in school, the only thing to me that I think school is great for social and, and future relationships, and it's good to have the discipline to get through it. Um, but if you don't require it to go do what you want to do, that's going to make you happy, you can always go back and we're not pushing you through it. And so we encouraged him to do the CSGO thing. So there's, there's people that pay $5,000 a month for these kids to go live in houses and play these games because the teams are becoming more profitable, right? I think as of um, this last year, the only thing that was more profitable than video game spectator sports where they put people in arenas to watch people play video games was the NFL. So more than basketball, more than tennis, more than baseball, more than any of those other things. And this is a huge trend that's escaped most people that are over 30. But because I've got two kids that are in it, I remember buying uh, tickets several years ago to, uh, to, at Staples Center for the uh, League of Legends gaming tournament. And this is something for all your, that ties back to what your listeners might want to be thinking about if they want to attract younger people too, in terms of interest groups and things to sponsor and get involved with. But um, he, they wanted to go, and this was probably five years ago now, and this League of Legends concert was at Staples Center, and he's like, yeah, I, I'd like to go. I was like, okay, I'll get, you, I'll get you two tickets to it. And it sold out the Staples Center in seven minutes, the Staples Center, to watch Whoa. people play video games. And you watch the thing. They stream this stuff, too. You're watching it, and it's all of these people in the Staples Center arena watching five guys, I think it is, play five other guys, and they're all plugged in with their headphones on. And on the background, there's this giant screen that shows the games, and there's fireworks and explosions and laser lights and everything. And, it's, and the announcers are like, he's exploding up the middle, and he's taking him on the left. And, he's, and it's like just like a real sports thing. Listen, I'm taking this quick break to invite you personally to our conference, Next Level Agents Live, next April 25th and 26th in Las Vegas, Nevada. It's April 25th and 26th, 2019 in Las Vegas, Nevada. Please join us for the industry's top speakers. I promise this will be the number one educational real estate event of the year. You do not want to miss it. You can get all of the details and buy your tickets today at nlalive.com. That's nlalive.com. Buy your tickets today. So, um, uh, anyway, back to, back to answering the question. So, uh, to me, 
it would be foolish for me to say, based on what I think is success in the business world, you can't go and be part of this thing because you end up owning one of those teams. You could be, you know, and all, now all of the uh, NFL team owners and basketball team owners are buying video game teams because that's the next big thing. So being able to be happy doing what you do, even if you don't make a ton of money is I think a really important thing to leave them with um, to communicate and be fair. That fairness zone thing I've, I've hammered into them a million times. And so they'll, they'll watch when I'm negotiating and they're like, ah, it's a fairness zone thing. Like, yep, that's right. <laughs> um, th those are, I think the most, the most important things. And then to be an entrepreneur, I, I really, 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 my younger son is not yet, interested in doing the work to be an entrepreneur, but I think he ultimately will. And we've, we've tried to steer him towards a non-entrepreneurial path that can become entrepreneurial. And uh, my other son followed me around. Both of them, I had them go work out at a normal job. Uh, and so like be a pizza delivery person or a busser or a coffee barista or whatever things they all did. And then after they did that for about a year or two, I said, I will pay you what you're making now to just to shadow me, meet all the people I meet, see what I do, watch the deals and get plugged in because you will learn from doing that. And so our oldest son did that for about five years and then made, started making, made a couple of relationships, made deals. And now he's doing, um, you know, a, a little bit different version of what I do and, and doing great. And I love, love, love that. So That's awesome. Those, those gifts, I think you should, create that legacy while you're alive though, right? That that's, if it's not there when you die, if I was to die tomorrow, all that stuff would be in place. And, and I just want to continue to reinforce that and support them and love them and show them that even if they make decisions that I don't agree with, sometimes I'm going to support them that that's what a family is. And that's what a family does. That's fantastic. Well, um, I got a couple more questions for you. Uh, yeah. So one of the things that I, I love that you've done recently, you haven't mentioned yet, was the, the Business Lunch Podcast. So oh, yeah, thank these you. Nugget, these nugget size. I heard you use the term at a, you're doing a 10-minute talk at a Genius Network meeting, and you refer to it as like snackable content. Is your content snackable? And that, you know, it seems to me like you've got some snackable content there. And that podcast, where, where did that come from? What, what made you finally decide to start up a podcast and get that going? I wanted to do it for the longest time because I, I, I have lots of stuff that that I want to share. And I, I read stuff and experience stuff and meet with cool people all the time. And I, I'm like, I really want to share this with people. So I, I have wanted to do it ever since Steve Jobs announced podcasting and then being too busy and thinking that I had to do a regular thing. Uh, I hate, hate, hate regular things. I don't like to be committed to, I have to do this thing every Tuesday or something like that. And so for some reason I saw it like a radio show for years where I had to get on it from nine to 10 AM every Tuesday and do this thing. And that, that, and the thought of like creating all this content myself or having to schedule a bunch of interviews with people all just tended to make me think I just am never going to do this. So for, for three different times, I bought all the podcast stuff and set it up and, you know, in a corner and then ended up giving it away to my kids. And, um, I finally, uh, a year, year ago, August, so year and several months ago, now almost a year and a half ago, I guess, um, I, st I just, I was at a meeting having breakfast and I, I was with a business partner of mine and two of our clients and we were talking about all this cool stuff and I just, I don't know what made it click with me, but I said, hey guys, you, we talked about some really cool stuff and I had actually taken some notes. I'm big on taking notes. 
And I said, would you mind if we made a couple of quick videos about this? And they were like, no, no, not at all. I was like, okay, cool. So, so I took out my iPhone and I said, okay, you were talking about this really cool thing with avatars and who's your customer. Let's talk about that. And, and he, he did it in each of these videos. I think I shot maybe four or five of them and each of them took like between a minute and four minutes to, to do. And I didn't have to edit them because it wasn't like it was, we had already talked about it. So it was just a recap kind of thing. And I posted it on Facebook on my personal page and I got a fair number of likes, more likes than I normally would get on stuff. And um, then I was like, well, gosh, I wonder what would happen if I, if I was to pay a little bit of money to, you know, have more people see them. And I was like, okay, well, I can't do that on my personal page. So I have to go over to my, my business page, which I've never done anything with. I had got my hundred fans a long time ago, you know, begging relatives so I could name it. And other than that, I'd done nothing. And I posted those videos and then I identified audiences that I was interested in. So I went into the, and I did the stupid way. I did boost as opposed to the thing you can do on your phone versus the power editor. And um, I was like, what if I just put $10 a day for five days against these audiences? And I picked people that I thought would be, you know, uh, like I picked uh, Brendan Burchard and Dean Graciosi and Frank Kern and Jeff Walker and other people who were in that particular market that I was interested in appealing to as my you know, whose followers would see this. And then I picked some job titles like CEO and entrepreneur and things like that. And I boosted them $10 a day for five days. And I got like a thousand likes on this post. And then I got maybe a couple hundred likes on that page. And I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool. That's way more than I've ever gotten on my personal page. Cause you just don't, the organic reach of your personal page isn't that great. And so I said, this is a really cool way to create content. I meet people all the time. You and your customers, your listeners or watchers of this podcast meet people all the time who are interesting. You have conversations all the time that are interesting that slip away into the vapor of time because they don't get recorded. And so I think that just taking the time to record the takeaways from those meetings takes a couple of seconds. And I never did it with any editing. I just... Um, I just would give my iPhone, I'll have it handy, but I would just give my iPhone to somebody and say, Hey, point this at me. Hey, this is Roland Frazier. I'm here with Kevin. We're talking about a really cool thing. Kevin, we talked about this and I'll grab the thing out of my, out of your hand, turn it around on you. So it's like as janky as you possibly can get, but people loved it. And then when I travel, I'd record, I'm, I'm pretty good at getting hotel upgrades. So I'd record the rooms that I would get and say, Hey, I got this. And I'd post how I did it and stuff like that. And after about a month after about two months, I was getting maybe 12,000 likes a week on my videos. And um, I realized that there was this little button up at the top that said you can promote your page. So I was like, oh, I should probably, I want people to like my page. So I should probably click that button. So I clicked that button and I did $10 a day for that. So, um, so it's at 300 bucks a month on that. So I was getting, and when I did that dump, that doubled my likes to about 25,000 a week. And after eight months, I had a million likes on my page. And um, anybody can do this. So, so when you talk about creating content and interest and making people stars, like in our conversation about if I didn't have anything and I was starting over, 
that video content is so interesting to people and your life that you might not think is interesting is so interesting to people and you do you are smart and you do have lots of cool things and do meet lots of cool people every day even walking through houses and stuff like that and talking about well I'm not gonna list this house because this or I what you know if you look on here this house normally should list for this much but I, it won't in this case because of this thing that I found and if you're taking people through that, that draws people in and you, then you tell stories and you know, about yourself and your house and your people that, that, that uh, you're meeting, you cannot help but get interest in those things. And so all of that got me to, um, to a big fan base. And one of my friends, John Reese called me up and said, dude, you're an idiot. And I was like, what do you mean? I'm doing okay. And he's like, no, you're an idiot. He said, people see this for two seconds on Facebook and then it goes into the feed and disappears forever. You need to do a podcast. I'm like, well, podcast every week. I don't want to do that. And he's like, you're already doing it. He said, just put that stuff up. You don't have to be on a schedule. You don't have to make something that's 30 minutes or an hour long. Just if you do a three minute video, put that up. And I had been doing all this research in marketing, seeing that people want shorter and shorter content, which they call digitally snackable. They want to be waiting on the bus or at the subway or in line or whatever, and they'll watch something that's two minutes or three minutes long, but they won't watch the longer thing. But they, they do watch the longer things, but they also want both. So when I, I was like, you're right, I should do this and I should create the podcast. And he said, yeah, because the podcast will stay there forever. And then people can binge the content. If they find you and they want to find out more about it, then that's way better than social for uh, sustainability of content. So I was like, okay, I, uh, I decided I was going to do it. And I asked my wife, I said, what should I call it? And she said, well, most of your stuff comes from having lunches while you're at business, so, while you're playing business, she says. So, uh, so uh, why don't you call it business lunch? And I, I looked up the domain and it was available for, I think, 2,500 bucks. So I bought it and, um, and I was like, okay, business lunch, that's it. And then I started recording longer interviews like the one we're doing now with people that I meet that I think have a really good story that I want to share. And I've got some really cool ones coming up. Um, I, sh I have Richard Branson coming up. I've got Gary V coming up. Um, and I've got, so it's been fun to uh, create a long form thing, I think on Wednesdays and a digitally snackable thing on Fridays. And then pretty soon I'm going to take my content cause I'm not, I'm not releasing anything about how I think yet. Uh, on Mondays, and then I'll have kind of a three times a week. Ultimately, I'd like to move to to every day, but I I need somebody you know full time to do that, and I haven't been ready to commit to that yet. That's awesome. You know, we started uh, our podcast the same way, and it's once a week. It's a long form like this, and then it's a it's a snackable content as well. Ironically, also because we were already doing videos with like a business tip each week for right? the real estate agent, and so. Very interesting to learn that, and I've been contemplating, hey, what maybe putting in another episode a week with like more of my thoughts, what's going on, what are That's we so doing? So. I think it's cool though because people don't get enough of you, and and you're the linchpin between all of the content that's coming out. So I think for them to see what you're thinking is a really cool thing to share. I think people people have asked me for it, and I'm sure they've asked you for it. So, that's great. I love hearing about this person and this person, but what do you think? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. So I appreciate that. I only have uh, one more real question. And, but before I get to that, so you mentioned closing table. That's something where that's like a mastermind that you do for real estate professionals. Yeah, we have, uh, we have three um, 
primary masterminds. We've got one that's primarily focused on digital and marketing entrepreneurs, people that have software as a service and e-com and digital info products and things like that. That's called War Room. Then we've got one for real estate investors called uh, Boardroom, which is all people who are doing you know, a million dollars or more in real estate. And then we've got one for top producing real estate agents, brokers, and um, solution providers. So we'll get software companies. We'll get people that have 500 or 1,000 agents that, that are under them. We'll get, you know, single people that are just really crazy killing it producers. And all, all of those, we get together three or four times a year for a couple days and just share the things that are helping us to be most successful and work through our biggest challenges. And it's a, it's a really cool thing to do. And whether you do it formally or with us or on your own, anybody that's watching or listening, it, it's, if you're not masterminding to me, you're missing out on the thing that can take your business to the, the next level, the fastest. Couldn't agree more. And then uh, big block realty. Uh, big block so, realty. Yep. so you started in San Diego. And from what yep. I can tell, it looks like we've got plans to go outside of San Diego real soon. We're in already. Temecula and, um, and um, a couple of other places now but we will be franchising very soon and you'll see us all over the place. So that's, that's exciting. Very exciting. Well, good for you guys. Uh, have heard nothing but amazing things coming from my friends in the real estate world who have been around uh, big block or have actually, you know, no, I've got some friends that are actually agents there. So uh, love seeing you guys push that thing really big. That's great. Um, all right. So last question. I, and I totally stole this from somebody we both know, Dave Asprey. Um, who has made a big impact on my life. One of, one of the things I love is he finishes his podcast by asking, what are the top three pieces of advice for just kicking more ass? And so that's my last question to you, Roland, is for anybody listening, it doesn't matter if this is a realtor, re, uh, real estate related, business related, personal related, just what are your top three things for just kind of kicking more ass in life? Yeah, so since you mentioned Dave, uh, I, I think that one of the things that's most important is that you really focus on taking care of yourself and um, and his bulletproof stuff is is a wonderful place to look at the research and the science and and As say sit well, mine right now <laughs> there you go and say because if you're not getting the rest that you need and have the proper nutrition and you know and health and staying uh, at least somewhat in shape your your energy level is not going to support you kicking the ass that you could kick and so I think the that getting more energy, getting more rest, being recharged, being focused and, and ready is, is invaluable. So that's to me, step one. Um, the second thing is I think to, to push yourself more than you are comfortable and put yourself outside of your comfort zone. So I, I am continually looking for not stupidly, but, but I'm continually looking for things that put me outside my comfort zone. So like, for example, I recently spoke in our industry. There's a thing called the internet marketing party. And um, they had asked me to speak a couple of times throughout the years. And it takes place in a bar where everybody's drinking and I'm, and it, you know, it starts in the middle of the night at like nine o'clock. Uh, so I'm like, that's not my scene. I'm not into that kind of, that kind of stuff at all. So I never wanted to do it because it's like standing up like in the middle of a bar and talking. That's, terrifying and horrible and awful. And um, when he asked me recently last year to do it, uh, I said yes, because I knew that it was something that would make me uncomfortable and it would take me out of that zone. It would get me through some thing that I don't even know exists that's causing me to not get to where I want to get. So, um, so I did it and I did it and it was great. And I, I ended up 
like, how can I make a bunch of people that are want to drink and not listen to me actually listen to me? So I did my presentation. I, I, I think I called it business growth in five toasts. So at the end of each five things, I made it really short, like 25 minutes. And then at the end of each thing I said, and so here's to blah, blah, blah. And, eh, and everybody drank. And it was, so it was cool. Right. And that was, that was good. And then, um, the other thing outside the normal stuff, like definitely read and listen to more books and podcasts and all that kind of stuff, because education is so important. I, I think um, intentionally, this is something that's been super helpful for me is every day, starting with three intentions, the intention to accomplish three different things during that day that will move the needle. And then making sure that I do, there's a little app called commit to three that I use that um, it's, I mean, you could do this just on a journal if you wanted, but for some reason I like the app because you can share it with your team also. Um, and so you just put the three things that you want to accomplish during the day and you tick them off as you accomplish them and then your team can see it or your group that you're sharing it with. And I think that that accountability and that intentionality, especially starting in the morning before the day, the whirlwind of everything, as Covey says, comes in and just takes all your time because it will, yeah. then you know that these are the three things that you're going to accomplish. And then an overriding thing, because I'm, I'm, I'm a bonus guy. So the bonus fourth thing <laughs> is um, the most annoying thing in the world to me is that I am, while I'm always trying to up level and always trying to get to the next thing and never satisfied with where I am. I, and I think that's what took me from being a real estate agent at 18 to owning all the things that I own interests in now is that I'm never comfortable that I'm thinking big enough. I know that I'm not thinking big enough. And there's so many people who have done so much more than me. It's so much younger, so much faster, so much uh, better that I'm not I'm not turned off by that and I'm not depressed by that. I'm motivated by that because, um, you know, what the hell I can kick as much ass as anybody. So I can get off my ass and do that stuff. And so that's, that's to me a big deal is, is knowing that whatever you're doing now and no matter how much you're patting yourself on the back and self-satisfied you are with the big deal that you just did or whatever, you can do better. And you should do better and you owe it to yourself to do better. And if you're pushing yourself all the time to do that, then you will do better. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, you, uh, you definitely, I could hear the theme of think bigger all throughout this conversation. So Roland, I number one, I appreciate that bonus. So like way past the time I promised. So to, <laughs> like the last 15 minutes have been bonus time. And I just thank you very much. I appreciate your time today. And if there's any other parting, uh, parting shots you'd like to leave us with, uh, feel free, but I just want to sincerely say thank you. I appreciate your time and for all that you uh, have shared with us today. Yeah, and I'll ask you this off, but I think it's good for once we're done, but I think it's good for people to know. I, I end every conversation with, is there anything I can do for you? So we'll talk about what I might be able to do for you once we sign off. But I think if everybody were to sincerely ask that question and then take immediate action, like if they say, connect me to so-and-so, text them right then, say, hang on, okay, I'm going to do it right now. Whatever it is, if you're always looking to help other people and you don't expect anything in return, you can only do better. So that's my parting thought. That's it for today's show. Do me a favor if you enjoy this, go over to iTunes or wherever you're listening at, leave us a review, share this episode with your friends. And for more great content, check us out in our Facebook group at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash next level agents. That's facebook.com forward slash groups next level agents. See you soon.